Hi, everybody. Wow, that's loud. How are we doing on sound, honey? Okay. My tech guy is also my husband, so it's okay for me to call him honey. <laughs> but I think I'm going to get started because apparently my testimony may be running way long, and I have to keep it within a certain time frame here. But um, I just want to take this opportunity to thank everybody for coming today. It means a lot to us that you all came out. Um, and tonight, we're, you know, obviously we're here because I'm, I'm giving my test. Maybe it's not obvious. I'm here to give my testimony. <laughs> so let me just open up in prayers real quick, okay? Lord Jesus, we just want to come together in lifting up your name in praise and worship. We welcome you here amongst us, and I ask, Lord, that you please, please, Help me with my testimony. I am very nervous. Um, may every word that comes out of my mouth tonight be spoken only as you direct, Lord. And in everything, may your great name be glorified. In Jesus' name, I pray. <clears throat> okay, so as I was thinking about this testimony of mine, I was thinking, like, should I make it short or should I make it long? And, <laughs> well, Linda, I can make things short. <laughs> So I decided that, you know, I have about 30 minutes to kill, so I am going to make it long, okay? So we're going to start with the day I was born, <laughs> okay? So I was actually born in Vietnam. In case you don't notice, I am Asian. <laughs> 1966, I was born, and yes, I am 50, um, and I have to get 50 years' worth of my life now into 30 minutes, so it's going to be really fast, folks. So I am the only girl of four kids. And, you know, that sounds great, like Avery, if you're a little girl. It's great in this culture, but in the Asian culture, it's really not good because I get stuck with all the chores. But that's a whole other issue that needs therapy that I need to bring my family in on. Mom! But anyway, the first three years of my life, I was actually really sick. And my parents actually didn't think that I would survive. Um, But... And they have no idea what I was sick of. And if they don't know, obviously, I don't know. But, you know, at the age of three, a miracle happened, and I was saved. And I, I, I lived through this the first three years of my life of being deathly sick. Um, my father was a lieutenant colonel in Vietnam. And that's a high-ranking position. So it's actually really good for us because we, we had a really nice life, a very comfortable life. My father had a driver. My mother had a housekeeper. We had a nanny. And, you know, so if for us, it, it was a great life. And we went to private school. We went to a, um, a Catholic school. Sounds great and all, except those Catholic school nuns are mean. I mean... <laughs> It's like, I got a good spanking once. I mean, it was embarrassing. It was like third grade, turn around to ask a, a kid behind me a question, got caught, marched up to the front, laid down, and I got whipped in the behind. It's like, so school was a scary place for me. I, you may not think so, but I really was very shy, okay? And <laughs> Linda, <laughs> Linda, she, Linda's dying. I really was. I was very shy. And so I did not like school. School was a scary place for me because, you know, it was very disciplined, and I did not have a lot of friends. Um, 
Everything was really very comfortable for us, our life in Vietnam, up until April 30th of 1975. That was actually when the fall of Saigon happened. And my father, even though he was high-ranked um, high ranked in the military, he was not high-ranked enough. So unfortunately, he was not in on the loop of what actually is happening and that the country is actually collapsing. So all the high-ranked officials above him actually got passages out for their families already at this point, and he did not. So by the time he got wind of it, he was in a panic because here he doesn't have a way out for his family. So thankfully, my father has a really good friend in the military that um, decided to get to work to help us out. And his friend actually got us passages out for my mom and us kids. And so on the day that we were to go to the airport, and this was, I believe, the day before the collapse, and we were heading to the airport at this point. And so we stopped at a friend's home because this friend, um, they were also going to be going with us. And we had several hours to kill, so we stopped there, and we were all going to go together. But at this point, my mom decided to throw a wrench into the plans and what was going to happen is that she decided that she refused to go unless my father came also. Well, that's going to be a huge problem because my father did not have a passage out. And my father was in a panic because had we stayed behind, we all really most likely would have been killed. We would not have survived that. But my, you know, the family that we were we were there with at that time, they were also having turmoils in their family because one of the brother was refusing to come. And the reason why he was refusing to come was because um, he had a gay partner and his family did not get a passage out for the gay partner. And so he was refusing to come without his partner. So this family was so upset with him that they said, fine, if you don't want to come, you stay behind. And they gave my father the ticket. But here's also the miracle that happened with that is that this brother that um, chose not to come along had the same name as my father because they also check ID. You know, they check names. And so we were, that's how we, the miracle, again, is that that's how we, my dad was able to go. Because if my dad was not able to go, my, my mom would not have gone. I mean, she was a stubborn woman. She was not going to go without him, and he had to figure out a way. So we were able to get on the flight, and it was not by any means um, a passenger plane. It was a cargo plane. We were sitting on the floor of this cargo plane, and I remember that, and I remember um, being hungry, and the only thing my mom had to eat for us was um, crackers. And my, I didn't know us kids. We didn't know it at the time, but my parents, um, I heard them talking about it later, and they said that as our planes was going up, other planes were going up at the same time, they were being blown out of the sky. So, you know, for us to have survived that, it really, truly is a miracle that we got out of our country. And so we ended up um, flying to Guam. There was a military base, an American military base there. So we were in Guam for about two weeks. And in Guam, the, the only accommodation really were tents. So we were sleeping in tents. And my mom at this point, she was an absolute basket case. You know, all she was doing was crying because she's left all of her family members behind. She has no idea what's going to happen to them. And she's basically lost her entire life here. I mean, we had, we had a very comfortable life in Vietnam, and now she just, everything is gone. That's all been left behind. And 
we, you know, she doesn't know what's going to happen to us, you know, our family. So she basically, um, all she did was cry for two weeks there. And my dad was trying so hard to hold us all together and trying to make sure that us kids, that we were okay and make sure that um, we were in lines for the food and long lines. I remember long lines. And, and us kids, we really, honestly, we didn't feel the effect of it the way they did. Because what we do is we played. That's what kids do. You just play. You just ran around the, the camp, campground and you just play. So we were there for two weeks, and then the military flew us all to Fort Chaffee, Arkansas. And in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, it was actually a better situation for us because um, we were actually, because we were one of the first waves going in, we were actually um, in barracks. So one family per room. So there were um, bunks bunk beds that we were able to sleep. So at least we we were in barracks and we were together and we were in rooms. And, you know, what I remember about during that time was really awful powdered eggs and bland baked fish that the the military bakes. And, you know, that was great and all, but it was really rough. And um, I remember there were families where they had families that found them and brought them ramen noodles. And they would they would cook it up with hot water, and we're all sitting around smelling it like it was the best-smelling thing ever. <laughs> Ramen noodles. Yeah, when you're hungry, it goes very far. But um, we were in Fort Chaffee, Arkansas, and we were waiting to be, placed by, um, to be placed by a church because basically during that time, churches around the country would step up and say they would sponsor families. And so at, during this time, we were waiting for a church um, for placement. And we, my father has a friend during the military. His name is Uncle Bill. He was actually an American military advisor that was sent over to Vietnam. And my father became really good friends with him because usually when an advisor goes to Vietnam, they're sent to the front line because they're there to advise on um, military strategies. But my father always kept his advisors behind. He said, no, you need to stay behind. You need to be safe because you need to go home to your families. So he became very good friends um, with these advisors. And Uncle Bill would advise my, my father, say, if you, because my father wanted to go south. <clears throat> and he said, if you want a good education, education for your children, send them north. So that's how we ended up moving to Madison. And we um, relocated to Madison, and we settled in Madison. And we were uh, actually sponsored by a Lutheran church. And there were several nice families that really helped us out during this time. And every Sunday, they would come and pick us up and take us to church. And, and growing up in Vietnam, we never went to church. Um, church wasn't part of our family. We didn't, my mom was a Buddhist, but we didn't go to temple or anything like that. And, and with the language barrier, going to church didn't mean anything to us because I, I couldn't understand anything. We were bored to death. The only thing that about the Lutheran church that I thought was great was that after church, you get to go downstairs and get donuts. I mean, and we're not talking donut holes. We're talking big whopping donuts. So that's as far as I under, you know, understood about churches. But I think we only were like attending there about two years, and then we actually moved out of the area, so it was harder for the families to pick us up. So then we stopped attending church at that time. My dad found um, jobs. My mom went to ESL class, English as a second language classes to learn English. And once she got proficient enough, she um, had to get jobs. And that was really hard and tough for her because, unfortunately, my mom was very much a pampered 
um, you know, I don't want to say aristocrat, but she almost acts like one. But <laughs> sorry, mom. Anyway, um, growing up in the U.S. from me was actually really difficult because, again, I know you don't believe it, but I was really shy, and I didn't quite fit in. You know, that was a struggle for me, and especially because at home, my parents tried so hard to keep the, the culture inside the home, and they didn't want me blending in. And then you go off, you know, to school, and you see all the kids you know, the freedom that they had and what they were allowed to do and what I wasn't allowed to do. So there was quite a conflict for me. But also there was quite a conflict for me in regards to God because my parents never taught us anything about God. We never talked about it. We never, we didn't go to church. We didn't, there was really no teaching about it. So I was quite confused growing up in regards to whether or not there is a God. And unfortunately, in college, this only increased. This did not get better for me. And I remember in college, I went to UW-Madison. I went to an empty church once. And I remember going to this empty church in the middle of the day, and I sat in there to see if I could feel God, to see if there is a God. I gave him two minutes to show up. (laughs) Yes. After two minutes, he didn't show up. I wonder why. And then I stood up and said, nope, there's no God here, and I left. And then I would have this college professor in college that um, had a special section that taught about the unreliability of the Bible and that you can't trust it. Now, not having grown up with the Bible, not having grown up to know anything about God, I just went, oh, okay, I can't trust the Bible. So as far as I was concerned, the Bible was a book of fiction, you know, a book of fables, and that's all I understood about it, you know, and the Bible was the Ten Commandment movie with Charleston Hessen, and that's it, that's, that's all I knew about the Bible, so I didn't grow up trusting them, but tension between um, my home life and the outside life continued to increase, um, because just because I was in college, my mom did not ease up on the, um, the restrictions, um, because they were extremely overprotective. They were extremely afraid of the world for me. They were afraid that um, things would happen to me. My, my parents, unfortunately, live, live with a lot of fears. So that increased for me. So when I, um, at the age of 20, I actually did something really stupid. And when I was putting this together, um, God really brought this memory back to me because I really, I don't think about it much. I actually never think about it because it's not, um, it was just a stupid thing. And to me, it's not who I am. So I, I never think about it. But God, God really showed me I need to talk about it. But when I was um, 20, um, due to struggles between, you know, my parents and all the work, I did some soup. I tried to kill myself. I took a handful of pills, um, and there's, this is where the miracle happened again, is that I woke up the next day. You know, I mean, I didn't just end my life, and I woke up, and I had a chance. I was extremely drugged, and I was hallucinating like crazy, and at that time, I was seeing Warren, so we ended up at the emergency room. My parents um, did not know, except for after I left the house and read my, my note, which, sorry, Mom and Dad, that must have been terrible. But so that was just a, a, a momentary, you know, stupidity of a, a young kid, but God saved me. Anyway, I met my husband, the tech guy back there. Hi, honey. Um, <laughs> when I was in college, and uh, we married after we graduated, and I had my son a few years after that. 
But um, during the time that we were dating, and we were dating, I had an incident where it could have been a terrible tragedy. And my husband and I, we went rowboating. You know, you know, college kids, let's rent a rowboat and let's rowboat out in the middle of this tiny lake. And it was a really windy day. And like, let's jump in and swim. First of all, I'm a terrible swimmer, right? It was a windy day. We had a float, right, that I was supposed to hang on to. So we jumped in. I was hanging on to the float. And I was drifting away from the rowboat very fast. And I lost grip of the floaty. And I looked at that, and I go, I'm in trouble, because I look back there, and the rowboat is way back there. And Warren's looking at me. He's like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what to do. Do I try to bring you back to the rowboat, or do I go get the floaty? And I said, go get the floaty. So I tried to keep myself afloat the best that I could. In the meantime, I'm going like, why is he taking his time? I could be dying here. And if I die, my mother will kill him. (laughs) But I consider it a miracle because he did get the floaty and he got it back to me and we never did that again. (laughs) But anyway... During that time in our lives, we, you know, I did not know God at all. But I always had a sense that somebody was guiding me with all my decision makings and everything that I did. So that's how we ended up moving up here to uh, Appleton, Wisconsin. Warren actually grew up, my husband actually grew up in Appleton. So we ended up moving up here and settled up here. Um, But in 1997, I had a tragedy that happened in my family. My, actually, my younger brother died of a motorcycle accident. And during this time, I was 31 at the time, and obviously it was a very hard time. It was extremely difficult um, watching my parents go through this. But it really made me question life and death and God. Is there a God? Is there not a God? And um, I happened to stumble upon this book, and whether... You know, we believe this book or not is irrelevant to me, but what this book did for me was it was a woman who um, claimed that she died, um, gone to heaven, and came back and, and wrote about it. For whatever reason, that book, all of a sudden, there was a click that said, oh, there is a God. Well, this is great. There is a God. And so I proceeded then to redirect my life and how I started to live. I now started to live for God. Now, the funny thing is I have no idea who God was. Didn't even make any attempt to find out. But he was very much a new agey God, if you know those new agey gods out there. Everyone has their own path and, you know, those type of thing. My husband grew up Catholic. Now, um, we would, when the subject of God would come up, we would conflict quite a bit. Because he thinks I'm crazy. I just made up this God guy. And I think I seem to know him. And he's like, I know who God is because I grew up Catholic. I'm like, okay, but you don't even go to church. You know what I mean? And you, you don't even live your life a certain way. But So he was extremely condescending, and we would conflict a lot about it. So we would avoid the subjects most of the time. That saves our marriage. Oh, another issue is, yes, Alyssa, I have to work through. Um, <laughs> So during this time, I attempted um, to be as good a person as possible because that's all, that's all that I understood. You know, I said you have to live your life to be the good person in order to be accepted. Um, and I tried to raise my son to believe in God because I felt that without understanding and believing in God, there's no direction for him. And I find it amusing because I don't even know who God is, but yet I'm going to raise him to believe in God. 
But one day I remember um, lecturing my son. He did something wrong. And I was lecturing him and said, you know, son, God would be really upset with you at this. And he looked at me and he said, you know, Mom, you're always talking about this God, this and God, that. I don't even know what you're talking about. And I just, like, was crushed because I felt like I'm, I am failing my son at the one thing I want him so much to know. And so I said to my son, I said, okay, we're going to have to find a church. And because my husband wanting us to go to church. And I said, we have to find a church. And, but it has to be within a, um, a certain parameters. One, it can't be boring. <laughs> Two, it must be big because we want to be the last one in the first one out. We don't want to get to know anybody. We don't want to get involved. Don't get us involved. So we, we happened to stumble upon this one church once. It's an Apple Valley. It's an Apple church. Anyway, it's a small church. And we're like, oh, it's so cute. It's near our house. Let's visit. So we walked in. And this church, um, the people there were so nice. I mean, they were so nice. Everybody said hi. They came up to us, and they gave us apple bread. And while service was happening, my husband and I leaned to each other and said, we got to get out of here. They gave us apple bread. We can't get to know these people. They're too nice. <laughs> so we, we, you know, we, like, that was the last time at that church. But eventually we did land at a big church, and we were the last one in and the first one out. We did not get involved. Didn't want to know anybody. And every time we went to church, I go, sure hope my son's getting something out of this, because I sure am not. So one night, we, um, we were having dinner with friends. Um, first time we had the one couple over, and we had this other couple over, and we didn't even know they were Christians until they showed up. So that night, we were talking a lot of weird stuff about demons, demonic stuff, and, and, I, re- and I remember getting, like, creeped out by it. At one point, I even got up to pull the blinds as if that would keep the demons out. <laughs> know how that works. And um, so again, my husband and I disagreed on, you know, our belief system. And at the end of uh, that dinner, the one friend asked my husband, Warren, would you like me to pray for you? He's like, no thanks. And because, um, you know, you don't pray for each other, you know. So um, she asked again, and he agreed, and just so that she could move on. And so she prayed over us, and we have no idea what she said, but okay. That night we went to bed, and my husband said that he woke up middle of the night, about 2 o'clock, and he said God was there. And God was showing him his life in a, a movie reel. It's like watching his life in a movie. And God was showing him all the things that he's done, all the sins of his life. And God was showing him, that was your old life. I now want you to follow a new path, and this new path is in me. And he, and he said he never felt so much joy and peace before in his life. The joy and peace that he's always wanted, but he's never felt that before. But he thought he must be going crazy. So he said, I'm just going to go back to bed, and it'll be all normal again in the morning. But when he woke up in the morning, that peace and joy was there. And all that he felt, it was all there, and he knew something was going on. So he started um, going back to work, and God would lead certain people to talk to him. And they explained to him that that's the Holy Spirit that's in him. He didn't even know what that was. People started inviting him to Bible study, and he said yes. Now, this is a man who would not even open up the Bible, condescending though he was. He never opened up a Bible. (laughs) Sorry, honey. Um, (laughs) If he wasn't recording this, I wouldn't be in trouble later. But, (laughs) But anyway, 
So he started joining Bible studies, um, two of them. And I started seeing a change in my husband, a complete change. And I never knew um, anything about what happened to him because he didn't tell us because we, we don't communicate as well as we should. Therapy, yes. But um, so I found out two months later what happened to him, and he invited me to a couple's Bible study. And I agreed um, to um, I agreed to go because I was curious, what is this? What is this? You know, I was curious to see what this part of his life was, and I didn't want to be left out of it. So I agreed to, to attend. And we were attending this couple, couple's Bible study for about two and a half years, but it all went like this. Because if you didn't grow up with the Bible, you don't, there's a lot of names, there's a lot of story. And until God gives you the ability to, to hear the words, it's hard to hear and, and understand. So, but I was curious watching all these people and going to church, and I would hear the pastor saying that you need to um, believe in Jesus and, and confess it with your mouth. And, and I wanted to believe, I really did, but I never told anyone that I couldn't believe in Jesus. I just couldn't. I tried to make myself believe, and I would even try to confess it out loud. I'd say, okay, I believe in Jesus. And then I wait and say, nope, I still don't. So <laughs> there, was no, there was like no magic button I could push. I couldn't make myself believe. But uh, one day, um, two and a half years later, I was having uh, lunch with a friend. And during that lunch, God spoke to me, and he said, you need to believe in me. I am real, and you are to learn about me in the Bible. And in that second, God flipped that switch, and I believed. And I sat there, and I wept. I mean, I wept, big, ugly cry. You know, I mean, big's not coming out of my nose. It was really bad, but it was like, it was, it was so real. And for me, it was like in that moment, I understood. And I became just like my husband, and I could not get enough of his word. And I knew, I felt like I've wasted 40 years of my life of not knowing him. And I needed to catch up. So I was on a race to catch up with the knowledge of God and who he is. It's like, who are you? And so that was how, you know, that's how God transformed me. You know, just an instant, in an instant, he transformed me. And this is the born-again experience that Jesus spoke about. Because in John 3, Jesus says, Very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that's what happened with my husband and I. We had the born-again experience. The person I was before Christ lived for me and what is best for me. The person that I am now lived to serve Jesus Christ. I desire to know more and more of him every day, and my joy is found only in him. So why my story? You know, I want to tell you my story because I want you to see God's great plan in my life. I want you to see his mercy and his grace upon me. I was a sick child that could have died, but he saved me. He spared me. My country was collapsing, and I could have died, but he spared me and my family. I attempted something very stupid at a very young age, but he saved me, and I woke up. I could have drowned, but again, he saved me. So even though I spent my 20s and 30s denying Jesus, yet at the age of 42, he gave me my eternal life. This is the love and grace and mercy of God upon my life. But that's just my story, because you have a story too. And if you have not come to the saving relationship with Jesus, then I have to tell you that he has a great plan for you. 
God has a great plan for all of mankind. The condition of mankind is that we are all separated from God. Romans 23 said, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Our sin has separated us from God, who is perfect holiness, perfect righteousness. Because he is so holy, he cannot have sin near him. He must judge the sinful man. But in Ephesians, it says, For by grace you are saved through faith, and this is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God. It is not of works, so that no one can boast. There is no amount of human goodness, human works, human morality, religious activities that can gain acceptance with God. Well, this is a problem for man because, again, we all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. So what is our solution? Our solution, we have no solution, but God has a solution for us. Romans 5 said, But God demonstrated his own love for us, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God sacrificed his own son, who became man, lived a sinless life, died on the cross for our sin, and was raised from the dead, all as a substitute for us. This is God's great love for us, this great sacrifice. So what is our role? Our role is to receive Jesus Christ. John 3 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already, because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only Son. We have to come to him, recognizing that we are sinners, that we cannot do anything to bring salvation to ourselves, that we must completely rely on Jesus and his work on the cross. If you are here and you, have not, and you do not have that relationship with Christ, I urge you to pursue him. Only through Jesus Christ will we have eternal life. Jesus says, I am the way the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you are a believer, then let me encourage you to grow your faith. Look at your life and see that all the Lord has done for you. We all have a story. So what is your story? Your story is your opportunity to be witnessing to others if you are not already doing so. So don't sit on it. Don't hide it under a basket where others could not see. And I thank you so much for giving me your 30 minutes and, and listening. Thank you. Look, 30 minutes. I'm going to pass this back to Pastor Kathy. Well, how blessed we are this evening to have heard the goodness of our God and the greatness of his miracle working in each of our lives. We have come to the time in our meeting where as sisters we share our needs, our prayer petitions, because we know that our God is that big that he not only sees and he not only hears, but he answers. And normally we would go literally around the room, but because we have such a large group here today, what I'm going to do is just ask if you have a prayer request that you feel comfortable sharing with us, would you just raise your hand 
and we will hear it and we will receive it. And then at the end of that time, we'll just ask the Lord to pray over, or rather to receive those requests, and we will pray over them. So why don't we just start at the back at Diane's table. If there's anyone there who has a prayer request, would you just raise your hand and be acknowledged? Thank you. Anyone else at that table? Okay. When we when we pray, when I pray over all of the prayer requests, Linda, would you lay hands on Sandy? We believe in this church and the power of the Holy Spirit. We believe that the scripture says, if anyone is sick, let the elders or let those in the body of Christ lay hands and he or she will be healed. So we exercise what the Bible tells us to do because we take the word of God quite literally. So, Linda, if you will do that, we'll be grateful. Thank you. Next table at Penny's table. Anyone have a prayer request? Absolutely. Thank you. At Ginger's table, anyone? We're all good? Okay. At Annalise's table? Amen. Amen. Yes. Amen. Annalie, when we pray, 